I wanted to run up here, but tripping over these steps would not set a good tone for the service. Um, what a great worship time, and it is good to be back. Hello, church. We, we're so glad to be back, not living out of suitcases. So uh, it, uh, we had a great time in Washington State. We got to catch... Uh, Two Sundays ago, we got to catch the service, and we were in church the following Sunday at 9 o'clock, which is right when this service was going on. And like I said, Wednesday night, I think Brenda might have been checking out the service on her phone while we were in church. Uh, maybe peeped a little bit about Brad, but Brad did a great job preaching, and um, I have the greatest confidence. You know, there was something that came out that has nothing to do with my message but uh, And then you read that about the Lord coming to our rescue. How many of you have heard the story about the, these uh, a few members of a wrestling college team being attacked by a grizzly bear? How many, how many have seen that? Well, just a handful. Um, and uh, that, that, that whole thing came to my mind that um, they were looking, I think, for antlers that were shed. They were out in the wilderness, and a grizzly attacked one of the members of this wrestling team. And his buddy ran and jumped on that grizzly bear and grabbed his ear. And the next thing he knows, the bear turns and looks directly at him, and yes, he redirects his uh, aggression. And, um, and he starts slapping him around, knocking him down, pushing him against trees. And uh, he thought, well, this is it. And, um, and then I think he, he did a little bit more damage and left. And then he came back and uh, attacked him again. He just kind of went limp. And so the bear went on. And both of these guys have survived. Now, they look pretty rough. But it's like somebody asked him, what made you think about that? He said, well, because my friend was being attacked. And that, the thought that came to me is we live in such a broken world and sin destroys people so much that Jesus came in and jumped on the back of that beast and he absorbed the mauling for us. He truly has rescued us. And that has nothing to do with my message, but it's like the one question that did that, that was asked, he said, listen, that bear faced you face to face. We've heard that bear breath is pretty bad. He says, it's worse than bad. It's awful. He said, I will never forget the odor of that bear's breath and probably other things he won't forget. Um, but it's great to be home. Thank you for praying for us. And uh, we had a great visit at Church on the Ridge. Um, last Sunday, and uh, they were celebrating and advertising their fall outreach, and they had a guy in the foyer dressed as a stormtrooper from Star Wars. I mean, in full gear, and there was other things going on, so they have like a 100 volunteers that they need to do what they do, and uh, it's one of their great outreaches. I titled this message this morning, What If, and it's going to be about miracles, Miracles, accounts of miracles are all through the Bible. You think about how Genesis starts off with the miraculous, right? That God created the heavens and the earth. They just didn't happen. 
God created, it starts off with the miraculous, right? And he made the earth in such a way with the ecosystems to, to give animal life and human life the capacity to live. And he goes on past that in that the great flood, which is a miracle. And then he chooses Noah to start over. And then he chooses Abraham. And Abraham is going to be part of this message this morning. But the, the miraculous starts from the very book, first book in the Bible. And you can just follow the miraculous all the way through. And Jesus spent a lot of time up in the Galilee area, and it's in that area that the vast majority of his miracles took place. And one town in particular that the majority of his miracles took place was Capernaum. And I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 11 here in just a moment and uh, read a few verses beginning with verse 20 that uh, Jesus is speaking about Capernaum, he's speaking about Chorazin, he's speaking about uh, Bethsaida, he's talking about towns where miracles had taken place, where God had done miraculous things, and it wasn't embraced by the populace. In fact, they were opposing him with all of these miracles. Um, we're going to be re begin reading in Matthew 11, verse 20, if you have... Uh, and it's probably on the screen. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And he said to Chorazin, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon was north and it was known as a, a very pagan place. Verse 22, and he says, I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. You will descend into hell. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, they'd be more bearable for Sodom and the day of judgment than for you. He calls out Capernaum. Now, I want you to think about everything that happened in Capernaum. We're going to show a slide here in just a moment, the miracles. But this is Peter's hometown. If you go and Google Capernaum to see how many people live there, you'll probably be surprised. Do you have any idea of the population of Capernaum? At its heyday, it was about 1,500 during probably Peter's time that his family lived there. Today, Capernaum has zero residents. It does not exist. What exists there are ruins. In fact, some places you'll pull up Capernaum and it says, present condition, ruins. I've been privileged to be there twice. And there's a a synagogue that they've uncovered around the 4th or 5th century, and they do believe that it's built on top of the ruins of the synagogue that Jesus preached in. And over not far from that synagogue is a house that was made into a church, and most scholars believe that was Peter's house. And the way the early church did, they, they just kind of started thinking, 
where Jesus was born was holy and they built a church over this tomb, supposedly where, or this cave where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And they, they would kind of make these holy places. If you, you, you go into that church, uh, that they say there's a church of nativity, and they go in and there's this cave and they're lighting candles and they're praying and they think something magical is going to come out of that place that Jesus was possibly born in there. And, and it's just sad to see people trying to get external benefit from something that happened years ago instead of the reality that he's alive and well today. And Jesus is speaking to a group of people about what miracles had taken place in Capernaum that if those same miracles had taken place in Sodom, Sodom, that it would remain to this day. Sodom and Gomorrah would still be in existence. This was like 2,000 years after it was destroyed. Jesus is standing and says, those two cities down in the Jordan Valley would still be there if these miracles had happened in those cities. Here's some of the miracles that happened in Capernaum. The miraculous catch of fish. You remember that? That's exactly how four out of the 12 disciples were called. That great catch of fish that Peter and Andrew and James and John were pulling those fish to the shore and they were fishermen and he says, you follow me and you become fishers of men. That happened in Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. That's where they lived in, Capernaum. The paralytic was healed. This is the story of the man who was let down through a roof. You remember that? They pulled off tiles from the roof. They lowered him down. That was in Capernaum. A woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5 was healed in Capernaum. Jesus raises a girl from the dead. This is Jairus' daughter. He comes to Jesus. My daughter's very sick. On the way, they get news that she had died, and he goes in and raises this man's daughter from the dead in Capernaum. Jesus heals two blind men, as recorded in Matthew 9. Jesus heals, and, and I copied this title from a, a, a site, so dumb demoniac <laughs> comes across as something maybe different, but is a, a demoniac person, a demon-possessed person that could not speak, and he could not speak because of the demon that was in him. Jesus cast out the demon, and he could speak. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand in Matthew 12. And you'll really like this. A fish gives Jesus and Peter his, their tax money. You think about that. Just go down, catch a fish, and when you catch a fish, look in his mouth, and there's going to be money in his mouth, and you go and pay our taxes. Don't you wish you could catch fish like that and pay your taxes with it? These people did not embrace the reality of God with all of these miracles. God was working in their midst, and they did not embrace it. In fact, they claimed in that demonic person that Jesus delivered, they even went so far and said, well, you're doing that by the power of Satan. And Jesus, well, how can that work? Satan is divided against himself. He's dividing, he's attacking his own work. So that doesn't make sense. This shows you how Capernaum, for the most part, was shut off from identifying the miracles and the source of miracles was Jesus. And he pronounces woe, woe upon you, Capernaum. You want to know how many residents was in that place that saw all these miracles? It, was, it could have been a flourishing town, but he calls them out because they would not believe. 
There's ruins from that church there. There's Peter's house there. Just none existent today, and yet the Lord says it's going to be more bearable. Think about it in verse 24. It's going to be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Capernaum. Think about how that is being compared. Which brings us to Genesis 18 and 19. How sinful was Sodom and Gomorrah? What was the level of sin there? And as bad as it was, Jesus himself says, if, what if miracles had happened in those two cities that these people in Capernaum, he said, those people would have been survivors of God's judgment. Those cities would have remained. In Genesis 18, the point person, of course, is Abraham. Who could have been the point person for miracles in Saddam, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Who, who could be the point person there to bring miracles? Would it be Abraham? Abraham didn't live in those cities. He lived out away from them. He had his own, his, his herds, his, all of his workers, they, they weren't even near those two cities. You remember when his herd and Lot's herd started having problems with each other and and to keep from having a family squabble, they said, uh, you know, in fact, Abraham looked at Lot and says, you know, this is not working. There's too much confusion between our, my workers and your workers and your herd and my herd. And, and why don't you pick where you want to go and I'll take the other. I'll give you first choice. And he looked down into that Jordan Valley and it was just lush. It was like beautiful, all kind of pasture land. And, and he didn't go down because... Those two cities were there, Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't go there because the cities, he saw this rich plain, and he said, my herds would do well there. And the Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And he didn't, it didn't say he went to live there. He pitched his tent there. If Abraham was going to be the point person for miracles there wasn't that much of a chance that he would do the miraculous. But, but when you think about it, when those armies invaded the area and took a bunch of people kidnapped from those two cities, and part of the ones they took were Lot and his family, you think about Abraham, man, that was a pretty good ranch that he had. He just took his farmhands and went after them, over 300 of them, divided them up at night and attacked them and got everything back. So those people realized that Abraham was a different man. He brought everything back. He didn't, get, he didn't take anything from what that belonged to them. He gave his tithes to Melchizedek, the priest. He, he honored the priest there, the priest of God. But he told the, the leaders of those two cities, I'm not taking a dime from you because I don't want you... Later on, since we made Abraham a wealthy man. But what about Lot? Could Lot be the point person that miracles could have happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? The judgment of God not being poured out on those two cities. I'm going to begin reading in Genesis 18, verse 16, and there's a lot of reading here. So you, are you ready to do some reading? This is probably the most scripture I've used in a long time, but here we go. Picking it up in verse 16, Genesis 18. 
When the men got up to leave, and, and I will preface that earlier in that chapter, it's the hottest part of the day. Abraham's sitting in the opening of his tent. Sarah's inside the tent, and he looks up, and three men are there. They just appear there. And the way he reacts, they're just not ordinary men. He jumps up, he goes, he bows down to them, and he, he sets in motion this rapid preparation for a meal, and he's going to feed them, and they're going to be on their way the next day. He's, he's actually uncomfortable with them being there. And it's kind of interesting how Lot responds to, to the angels. These are, these are not men. Two of them are angels, and the other one is the son of God. I said, how do you know that? Well, you, you, it will show in this reading. Two of them were angels. The other one was the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Son of God. So think about that as we're reading. When the men got up to leave, when the two men that were going, two angels that was going to leave to go down to where the two cities were, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And if you look at the word in the verse, in 17, the verse Lord, you see it's all in capitals, right? It's how to differentiate Yahweh from Adonai. Adonai is Lord with a, with a capital L and the rest lowercase. They separate Lord that comes from Jehovah or Yahweh with capital letters. So it's, it's the Lord He said, how do you know that's the son of God? Well, when Isaiah had a vision of God in the temple, sitting on the throne of the temple, you remember that? And he falls down on his face and he's overwhelmed. The angels are flying about. I think it's in the gospel of John that Jesus said, what Isaiah was seeing was my glory. That was me because no one has ever seen the father. The Father has never revealed himself. The closest came to Moses. And I've referenced that before, that he says, you can't see my front glory, but I'll let you see the back part of my glory because you could not handle seeing the front part of the glory. So this is the Son of God remaining at Abraham's tent. The two other men leave who are actually angels head on down to the Twin Cities in verse 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. This is the Lord telling Abraham, you're going to be blessed. I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, again, Yahweh, by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord said, remember, this is the Son of God speaking to him. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went on towards Sodom, and Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. 
far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is less than 50, five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, the Lord said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? And he said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham returned home. Who do you think Abraham was interceding for? Lot. He started with 50, worked his way all the way down to 10. And the irony is, if he even went to five, he would have got the same answer. Because what you see played out in the next chapter, you know, he knows that Lot is in that city. And he starts interceding for that city because of Lot. He knows that. He knows there's rampant sin. This is why Abraham didn't have anything to do with them. The culture there was sinful. It was perversion. It was as bad as it can get. So bad that God is coming down to look for himself in the form of a person to see if it's really as bad as what it's coming up to him. Lot could have been a contact person for the Lord. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, but he ended up moving into the city. Now he's living in the city, and as far as you can see from what he's doing, sitting at the gate of the city, which is like he is now in leadership in the city. And I know in 2 Peter, Peter refers to that righteous Lot was vexed in his soul with the sin that was around it. But when you read what he, how he handles all of this in the next chapter, you wonder, that might be stretch, stretching righteousness for a little bit. Lot sees two men coming in through the gate of the city, and he knows those are not ordinary people. He does the same thing that Abraham did with the three, that included the Son of God, he goes and he falls down on his face in front of these two men. When you can read it, this is in Genesis 19. Two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But Lot insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. 
the, the same, it's the same thing that Abraham did going into Sarah. You need to bake some bread. We're going to kill a calf. We're going we're gonna to entertain our guest here. And, and it was all because they knew that these were not ordinary people. Before he had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. This is reading out of the NIV. So that they could rape these two men. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do what you like with them. You know, do you think that Peter's probably stretching that word righteous just a little bit? He is vexed, but look what he's doing at the point of pressure. The pressure, he knows these men are not ordinary men. And he's actually offering his daughters, his own daughters. And he says, but don't do, the, don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. You know, when I read that, I said, well, aren't your daughters part of the protection of your roof? I'm sorry, just a footnote there. This is how they replied, get out of our way. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break the door down. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here. Because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord, Yahweh, against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. And his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife, your two daughters who are here or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. You think, how much encouragement do they need? <laughs> you know, it's like they have to grab them to take them out. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, one of these angels said, flee for your lives, don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me and sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared what do you think about the negotiation from Lot here? And yet the Bible calls him a righteous man. I think maybe Abraham could have got down to one if there's only one righteous. Because when your daughters are engaged 
to men that joke about the destruction coming from God and what his two daughters did after all of this, you probably can come down that the righteous in the city was maybe one. He said to him, very well, I would grant this request. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. It was Zoar. But flee thee quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. It was all to rescue Lot. Lot had resigned to living in the city, but when all of this was over, he was living in a cave with his two daughters. He had lost everything. He was no longer a wealthy farmer, probably had given that up long ago, but now he was reduced to himself and his two daughters. You know, the Bible talks about, and if the praise team can come up and get ready. The Bible talks about Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? God wanted him to go preach to Nineveh. And it wasn't like, hey, go tell Nineveh if they repent, I'm not going to punish them. It was like, you just go and you tell Nineveh that the judgment of God is about to fall on him. And he finally ended up there after he went through a pretty horrific experience. He walked through the streets of that massive city of Nineveh and he just simply was telling him, God's going to destroy you. God's going to destroy this place. He has seen what's going on here and he's going to destroy the place. And the leadership of that city bought into the message. They put on sackcloth and ashes from the, boy, wouldn't we like to see from the leadership in our country down to put on sackcloth and ashes and sit before God and say, God have mercy on our nation. But that's what Nineveh did. From the very highest levels of leadership on down, they required people to fast and pray. And Jonah went up there on a mountain and was waiting, just waiting. He wanted to see him get it. And when God was merciful to their repentance, not that he gave them that option, but he, when God saw the contrition of their heart, he decided not to destroy Nineveh. And, and there was Jonas and I knew you, I knew you was going to do that. I wanted to see them get it. Those are our enemies. And you're having mercy on them. I wonder if Abraham could have walked through the streets of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and called out the sin that is there. He stayed away from it, and I don't blame him for that. But it's almost like Jesus saying, what if the miracles 
some of the miracles that had happened in Capernaum, happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have still been existence. It seems that he was saying there would have been a response. That's what I get from that. There would have been a response. Why would Jesus say that? He was calling out Capernaum. Absolutely. He was, it was something he was saying to them more than he was saying about Sodom and Gomorrah. But he was saying there's going to be degrees of judgment. There's going to be degrees of judgment when he says it's going to be more bearable. What if God possessed us in such a way for us to be bold enough to start telling people that God wants them to know him and to experience the peace of his salvation and somehow in that step, that aggressive step, of announcing the gospel that they are spared a judgment at the end of the way. They come to faith. They receive the gift of salvation. Would to God that everyone who sits in a church service in this nation today would have a resolve that I'm not going to waste any more time that God gives me to be the voice of Jonah. He did it reluctantly. Maybe we need to just do some things reluctantly because he's pressing us. There's a passage, if you'll stand with me, there's a passage that says, if my people, if my people, those who belong to me, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. There's not any margin there to interpret that any other way. If my people do that, what if we became so burdened for the people around us that we seek the face of God, fasting, praying, Asking God to have mercy on them because they are blind. Their darkness has filled their lives and they're broken. And what if the church, if we become that instrument that the Lord was referring to, if miracles had appeared in those two vile cities, they would have survived the judgment of God. There would have been a turning to the give up stuff that's too much like the world that we ought to be a greater contrast to our world we ought to be the light and we ought to be the salt light has a different appearance salt has a different influence and you've called us to be both of those in fact you've declared that we are light and that we are salt simply to not put a cover over our light and not let our salt lose, it, lose its favor, favor or 
flavor of influence and shine your light into our world to give hope to people that are lost. You know, we don't say a whole lot about this on about Sunday night, but Sunday night we have a prayer time and we pray for that 1040 window. Japan, starting from the far east, Japan, over into North and South Korea. Part of North Korea is in that 1040 window. And then there's China and there's Thailand. There's Vietnam. There's Laos. And it goes on to include India, Tibet, Russia, all of the Middle East, Northern Africa, Southern, the, the vastness of Islam in that 1040 window. We pray for an awakening God to make himself real to those cities just like he wanted to make himself real to those two cities that got so bad off he destroyed them I want to challenge you today to become a point person for the lost people you'll never meet there's people in Thailand Laos Myanmar all of those nations along Sri Lanka, all of them, you will probably never visit most of those nations, if any of them, but to cry out to God. I, I want you at some point today, intercede for someone, intercede for a nation, a people, intercede for Muslims. There's not many ways to God. There's one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Jesus is the way. He's not a way. You probably remember the Moonies, Unification Church of America. Anybody remember the Moonies? See, I'm so old. I'm the only one here. Now, Dennis. You know, Reverend Moon. Going around saying, no, there's other ways to God. You know, it's kind of crashed and burned. But I had interaction with them. They would, you know, come up to you. They used to let them be at airports. Come up, put a flower on you and want a dollar for a donation. And one put a flower on me and I knew what was about to happen. And I said, do you believe Jesus is the only way? He said, no, Jesus is a way. I said, no, he isn't. Is the way. There's no other way. No other way, and that includes the way you're talking. He reached up and took his flower off my shirt and went on. But I had a chance to tell him Jesus is the only way. Pray with me again. And, and could you, could we just ask the Lord in this prayer? And, and if you need prayer for healing, you need God to come through in the situation I want you to come and stand across the front and after we have this prayer we're going to be praying for you but I want you to ask the Lord what can I do what can I do in your grand plan to reach our world is it, is it to pray is it to find a nation that you put on my heart to cry out for the men and women and young people and children of that nation for cultures like Japan a very proud culture but people to have a hunger for God, a hunger for 
reality beyond the ancestry that they lean on. Lord, show us what we can do to affect the outcome of people that we won't meet directly, but we can meet through the power of prayer that's going on in the Middle East, especially in Iran. We pray for the boldness of people who are challenging the authorities that have subjugated that nation to horrific things. May that uprising, that spiritual volcano explode again with great results, especially among young people, especially among the college students who are eager to see beyond all of the restrictions that's been put on their lives. Lord, may their hearts be open to hear your voice, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you would speak directly to them, you would reveal yourself, envisioned in dreams to them, that in the middle of the night, they will hear your voice, speak to them, even as we're praying now, Lord, some places we're praying for, they are in the middle of their night. And may in the middle of the night, even now as we're praying, that you would penetrate the sleep of someone, somewhere in our world, because we dare pray for them now, in Jesus' name, that there would be a spiritual awakening in their lives, a revelation of you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And because someone in this room took seriously the position of an intercessor, you've honored that, and you're honoring it, and only heaven will reveal when we dare become instruments in your hands. And Lord, help us not to forget our neighbors, not forget those who live right next to us, that you love them. You love them and we have access to them. Help us, Lord, not to miss moments where we can encourage them, speak to them. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Who in the, the, the house in need has a prayer? You're not going to speak it out, but you have a absolute need for prayer. Would you raise your hand up here? Keep your hands up because we're going to do a little ministry here. If you're close to some of these that have your hands, keep your hands raised. I want you to go over and I want you to be the contact person to say, Lord, give them a breakthrough. Give them a breakthrough. Keep your hands up. All right. Some of you that's right around and look around, you see somebody with their hand raised, you just go and minister to them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you make things happen. You make things happen. You bring the past, Lord. Hallelujah. 
Let's go upset some apple carts. How's that? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's go do God's work. Praise God. It's good to see you. We, we miss being at TFA. So it's good to be back. Turn around and greet those right there near you. It's good to see you today. 